0: A very good evening to you. Welcome along to this edition of uh, Gospel For You. My name's Rob Rowe and I'm the director of Gospel for Grampian Radio based here in Aberdeen. And uh, we produce this programme, Gospel For You, over the next two weeks is going to be following a theme of mercy and grace. Today we're thinking about mercy and uh, There's a lot of aspects to this which we'll go into, uh, but in the main what we're going to try and do is to allow God's word to speak for itself. Matthew 5 verse 7. This is Jesus speaking the Beatitudes and one of them is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How many are the times when we've been wronged by someone and we feel like even speaking behind their backs, moaning behind their backs, is that mercy? Are we being merciful to them? Or when someone wrongs us and we feel tempted or even do take revenge, is that mercy? Listen more to God's word. Romans 14 verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We'll be going over these verses again, but we'll be sticking quite a lot to the Gospel of Matthew, and hearing from Matthew chapter eighteen, verses twenty-one to thirty-five, Jesus told many stories, and uh, one of them is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we're going to be hearing that in the last part of the program, which is also about prayer, bringing everything together in prayer. But there are scriptures we need to add to that so that there will be a full understanding. This program is gospel for you and we're thinking today about mercy. In the program also we have uh, Your Gospel in German, Italian and Latvian. Your Gospel is a program, it's a very short program, but it goes out at the top of the hour every hour and it's making the gospel available in different languages from around the world. There are 6,500 languages and we want to make that available to whosoever, whosoever believes shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. So John 3.16 in different languages. And we would just love to have more languages. And I understand that there are actually more languages on their way to us and looking forward to having these. Also in the programme today we hear... A long-ish testimony from Adrian Armstrong, who is speaking to the Heart of the Matter team. Adrian Armstrong went from banking and industry through to being involved with Bible reading in Scotland. And in the last part, we'll hear some more Bible scriptures and start drawing everything together in prayer, giving you, the listener, an opportunity to perhaps even accept Christ Jesus for yourselves, because that is the purposes of this program trying to get the gospel out in as many ways as we possibly can. Now let's uh, go and hear your gospel in German. Welcome to your gospel here on Gospel for Grampian. Your gospel is all about making sure that wherever you come from, you'll be able to hear the gospel. This is your gospel in German. Denn so hat Gott die Welt geliebt, dass er seinen eingeborenen Sohn gab, damit jeder, der an ihn glaubt, nicht verloren geht, sondern ewiges Leben hat. Your gospel aims to make the gospel available in languages from around the world. It's taken from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life look out for more from your gospel at the top of the hour every hour on gospel for grampian g 4 gorguk if you'd like to catch up with our podcasts then it's podcast.g4g.org.uk thank you for listening
1: welcome to heart of the matter We hope that wherever you are, you will find peace and rest and inspiration over the next hour. We are delighted to invite and have in our studios Adrian Armstrong. Hello, Adrian. Hello. Hello. Adrian is the Head of Bible Engagement for the Scottish Bible Society. But Adrian, you were never born into that particular role. Can you give us a little background of uh, where you were born, your early family and where you came from? Yes, I was uh, born and bred and raised in Edinburgh. I am the middle
2: of three children. I have an elder brother, two years older than me, and a sister, five years younger than me. And uh, the three of us raised in the suburbs in the west of Edinburgh quite an idyllic childhood, playing by the river, going to the local primary school and then for my education going to the high school in Edinburgh.
1: So you're you're at school, it's a very enjoyable time for you? Yes,
2: very much so. I think of my own children now and how different childhood was and one of the things I suppose in retrospect you appreciate is the freedom that you had, particularly in the school summer holidays as well. You know, you went out in the morning, you played with your friends locally, you all went down by the river and someone fell in and others didn't and uh, you didn't worry about these different things things but no very happy at a local school very happy with the friends there as well many of whom I I still
1: keep up with from primary school. You went to university or college did you?
2: Yes after high school I went to the University of Edinburgh spent rather too long there I suppose in some ways I began with a business and law degree followed that with a law degree diploma in law but never actually practiced law but my chosen career was banking so went into financial services and uh,
1: worked in banking for many years. A step from banking uh, Adrian to Bible works seems to be quite a big step. How did you travel that was running?
2: Well I became a Christian very young. I was probably about six years old when I first responded to the message of Jesus Christ. I uh, remember distinctly coming home troubled from a service and uh, the speaker had been speaking about sin and our need to come before God and repent. I knew a lot about Jesus. And I knew Jesus, I knew Jesus loved me But I came to a point where I had to turn to him And to recognise that even at six years old <laughs> That there was things to be forgiven And I needed to turn my life over to God Through the Lord Jesus Christ I'm fortunate that I've attended Bar some years overseas Which you might speak about I've attended the same church I always tell people since conception And uh, went along with my parents My grandparents were also there as well So a strong involvement in church And through my university years Was very involved in the universities and colleges Christian Fellowship in the CU's served in a number of committees and the latter part of that served as the president of the Christian Union which was the largest Christian Union one of the largest Christian unions in the country, and uh, saw great things there. Probably in my university years, began to preach and teach, come from a background, a model where everyone gets to try a little bit of everything. You're looking to discover the gifts that God had given you. From childhood, one of the things that was always there was the reading of the word of God. I was asked as a boy to read the scriptures, and I just remember feeling something when I read them, both the sense of God speaking and the warmth and the meaning of the words, but also something of the power of the message. And was complimented in that because people kept saying things about it. I must be quite good at it. Other opportunities came along, and I began to preach. Probably when I was sixteen years old or so. But my education carried along, and I remember when I first finished university, and I was looking what to do. My grandfather's best friend was Robbie Orr, who a retired missionary from Pakistan. And Robbie said to me, Adrian, you're beginning to preach and teach, and it's good. But a theological education would be good for you And I think this is the time you should go off and get some theological education So I said, well, Uncle Robbie, um, I'm not going (laughs) I'm not going to do that But if I was to go somewhere, where would you recommend? And he said, Adrian, I went for a couple of years And spent, I think, maybe a year in Regent College in Vancouver And he studied for a year with G.I. Packer And um, he recommended this college, which I'd never heard of was way out in Canada. Why on earth would I think about doing that? It was miles away but uh, that was many years before I actually went and so I carried on with my banking career but the tension was always there. I was serving in church and I was preaching more and more and this tension was in my life. I love business. My father was in business so it was a natural thing to do. Working in bank, you know, it was a good career. There's progressions like every job. There's good and there's not so good but I was more and more involved in church and The Lord just kept speaking to me about the need to choose, how I'm going to use the gifts. And everywhere I went preaching, people kept saying to me, you've got such a gift. What are you going to do with it? And I thought, well, I've just preached at your church. What do you want me to do with it? (laughs) I'm thinking "I'm, I'm using this. And yet that kept coming back. A number of people said to me, have you ever thought about going into the ministry? Have you ever thought about theological education? It just kept coming back. And of course, the Lord was saying the same thing to me. So there came a point in my career in banking, I'd shifted around a number of different departments and I'd had a relatively good year and it became very clear to me that the Lord was saying I needed to leave banking and uh, pursue theological education. It just so happened that a friend of mine who'd been at university with me was also studying at, can you guess, Regent College in Vancouver (laughs) and I began to think about this and thought about going and uh, putting an application Travelled with another friend to go and see this friend's graduation in Vancouver. What a marvellous city. I thought wow, mountains, beautiful sea, this is a beautiful place and the college seemed pretty good and it was small, full of people who were brilliant teachers. Eugene Peterson translated the message was there. Gordon Fee who'd written a brilliant commentary on on, on 1 Corinthians was there and all sorts of people had been through there that I hadn't heard of as well. And I began to get a sense, wow, this is some place. So I had an interview. They said to me, we'd like to offer you a place. And I suppose that's where the crisis began. (laughs) I suddenly began to realize for the first time I was going to be giving up if I was to do this. Everything I'd ever known. Lived in Edinburgh all my life. Giving up a career that I'd worked hard for to follow an unknown route. And uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, the friend that was travelling with me and I was telling him my doubts about this. And he said, Adrian, if you don't come here, I'm not sure we can remain friends because it seems so obvious to me and everybody else this is where you should come. It's always good to have friends that speak into your life like that. So I went back and I remember having an appraisal with the bank and they said to me, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do next? And I said, actually, I'm going to leave. That were some interesting conversations. And I still remember selling up Leaving my job, writing the letters, and breaking all these bonds to make the journey. Sitting on the tarmac in Glasgow Airport and thinking, "Armstrong, you idiot! What the hell have you done?" And yet, from the moment that I arrived in Vancouver, the people that I shared a flat with, at the beginning of my studies—as uh, so often is the way—when you respond to the Lord, and this had happened all the way up to before I got on the plane too. God began to confirm it in so many ways. This was his will and his purpose. And so began to provide the means and the ways for me to go. And when I was there, began to just teach me and train me there. There was a point in life where life just opened up in a wonderful way
1: because I'd obeyed the Lord. Adrian, it's great to know that all those people who were giving you that encouragement and inspiration and your friend and God knew better than yourself. <laughs> <of that time. laughs> As is often the case. But Vancouver wasn't just a place where you studied, it was a place where some aspects of your life changed. Absolutely. I think like many Brits abroad,
2: you're going to another country, you're wanting to spend time with people from other nations and that was great, but uh, I quickly gravitated towards a group of Celts, some Scots, who were hanging around a bunch of Northern Irish folk. We even let an Englishman join us as well, it just shows us the grace of the Lord. Many other people as well. Within this group of people, over a number of years, I got to know a beautiful girl from the Isle of Lewis, Karen. And we were friends for many years before I had the courage one day to ask her out for coffee. A relationship developed from there, but it's quite something. She's from the Isle of Lewis, I'm from Edinburgh. We're both studying in Canada. We're both at this point in our early 30s. You know, you're always asking the question, Will I find someone in life? There I was. The Lord took me to the other side of the world. To meet a girl from just up the road. So wonderful to meet Karen there. So, at the end of what was her degree and the end of my third year of my studies and my first master's there, we were married and then we spent our first year of marriage while I did a second master's at Regent before returning to Scotland. So, I have many reasons to be grateful to my friends and to the Lord for guiding me there. And chief amongst them would have to be the provision of an
1: astonishing wife in Karen. Did you say that the Lord is good? Yes. So you've met, you've come back after your studies, you come back to Edinburgh, is that correct?
2: Yes, well here's where the story turns interesting and you're thinking, well the Lord's provided everything, everything's going swimmingly, it's just so. And I'd done a second Master's because I was enjoying studies and thought to myself, I would love to teach. Now to do that in a lot of places you would require a PhD, so I was offered PhD places in St Andrews and in Edinburgh, And I was looking forward to starting a PhD in St. Andrews. As we were leaving Vancouver, Karen was six months pregnant with our first child. And so we were heading home. We were heading to St. Andrews, we thought, for me to do a PhD. And two weeks before we left, I got a letter to say the funding I was expecting hadn't worked out. So there we were. We'd obeyed the Lord. We'd followed his will and his purpose. He'd been so good to us, blessed with a wonderful theological education and blessed with the gift of finding one another with a clear sense, it seemed, of God's leading and purpose for me to go into a career teaching and uh, going to study my beloved book of Ezekiel, which I was wanting
1: to do at St Andrew's. But the Lord had other plans. So Adrian, share with us, what were those plans
2: well, not what I'd wanted. That's for a start. <laughs> um, I came back, explored a number of different opportunities. I looked at a number of different things, but ended up going back and, and using because it was unexpected. We returned to Edinburgh. We stayed with my parents a week before our son, Alistair, was born. Uh, we moved into our own flat. And uh, at that point as well, I took a, a job back in industry, working actually in a hearing aid company. So working in there, using my skills in business again. So went back to work in industry as well. And again, using gifts and skills that I had and going along, but continuing to ask, what's this all about, Lord? Those questions become harder to answer when you've got sleep deprivation and you're dealing with your first child and you're trying to make sense of life. But you're also trying to do the ordinary task of getting up and going to work and uh, beginning to raise a family. So I stayed with that company for a number of years. It was made redundant then from that company during the downturn. And again, at these crucial junctions, you're asking, what do you have for me, Lord? I think some of the key questions you've got to ask in life is, with the time you have available, with the gifts that God has given you and the opportunities that come along, what is the best way to use my life for the Lord? And so I was always asking these questions. Perhaps I got a bit too comfortable back in industry. I had an income coming back in. And yet I kept asking and people kept asking, what about this gift of yours? What about this training that you've undertaken? I kept exploring options and looking at things. But at that time it was the midst of the financial crisis. So I then was looking around for jobs and finding it very difficult. When your CV says banking and then it says four years of theological education on the other side of the world, and the market has turned sour. It's interesting trying to find the job. And I had some extremely interesting interviews. And uh, the more I looked for things, the more it seemed the door was closed. And so like many people in the downturn, I turned back to my business skills and started my own company. My father's business was in the motor trade. So it seemed a very obvious route. It's a market I knew relatively well. And so worked for a number of years within that, running again my own business. Just before that, our second child, Kate, was born. And you're asking all the time, What's going on, Lord? Here I am again. I actually had a pretty decent gig in the bank. And I was in the bank. And they asked me to go away from that. And here I am, back working, you know, working hard, running my own business. Always wanted to do that. Great fun. But a bit stressful as well. And what about all this stuff at Bible College? What about all these different things? And this went on for a number of years. I distinctly remember a morning when I was face down in the carpet in the bedroom in our house, weeping before the Lord, saying... I just don't know what to do. I need you to tell me what to do. i not in an audible voice. I really felt the Lord was saying, well, what do you want to do? And so I wrote down a list right there that morning. And I said I wanted it to involve the Bible. I wanted to involve reading and writing. It needed to involve people. It needed to be Scotland because I always had a heart for this nation and uh, i wrote these things then plus a few other things and i thought i had this amazing sense of peace i'd been looking through all sorts of job adverts for christian companies christian organization churches looking at different things and the right i looked at a number of things but nothing ever did i have sense of peace about this was on a thursday and uh, as often as the case when you're a man and you're weeping into the carpet i didn't quite share that with my wife straight away nor anyone else she's the first to tell And then the following week, in fact, it might have been even the following day, I went on to the website of the Scottish Bible Society, which I'd long admired. And they'd had no vacancies for a long time. In fact, in the years before, um, they'd had to have some redundancies and some restructuring. And there was this job, Head of Bible Engagement. And I began to read down it. It involved Bible. It was clearly going to involve reading and writing. It was going to involve people. it was going to involve Scotland and dealing with the leaders and churches in Scotland. And if I could have written a job for myself, this would have
1: been it. And I couldn't quite believe it. (laughs) So you asked God, God said, what do you want to do? You prepared a list and you found a job that ticked all the boxes on the list. Absolutely. So
2: God opened a door (laughs) for you. God opened the door extraordinarily wide And I still remember It was on the laptop that I saw it I think I unplugged it And ran through with the computer to Karen I said, Karen, Karen, look She said, what are you so excited about? it look, job, it's going to be glorious And then I, of course, took the time to tell her the story Of what had happened with my face in the carpet Weeping and crying to the Lord and she said, well, it seems amazing But of course then panic sets in Because you see a job interview And you probably reckon other people have seen it too <laughs> So so you begin to ask questions of the Lord and then you begin to beg him and then you sort of say, please, Lord, if this is the right thing, will you open the door? And I went in to see the Scottish Bible Society to chat to them about the job before the interview, just to see if it was the right sort of thing. And I had an extraordinary chat. I got more and more excited about it, but then more and more nervous about an interview. And then I interviewed and had what was just a really lovely chat around that interview in terms of my journey, my passion, the sense of calling uh, to things and then uh, a follow-up interview and a chat with uh, Elaine Duncan, uh, Chief Executive and uh, my now boss, Fiona MacDonald, Head of National Ministries, as they uh, really wanted to make sure that I wanted to give up running my own business, which was going pretty well, thanks very much. (laughs) to then come and work for the Scottish Bible Society as head of Bible engagement but uh, I think it was pretty clear by that time that the Lord had spoken in a wonderful way and it provided but I think you appreciate things so much more don't you
1: when the Lord makes you way for them that is very true you're head of Bible engagement that's quite a title but it's not head of Bible sharing it's not head of Bible reading What does engagement mean for you? We would often speak about the
2: Bible life cycle within the United Bible Societies. You have a a translation, which people would know about, bringing the Bible into a language people can understand, distribution, getting that out in in, in a format that people can use. And then there's what you do with it then. Uh, Now, we would often say that Bible engagement is anything just beyond reading the Scriptures. But increasingly, as I've been in the role central to that has actually been the reading of Scripture and encouraging people to do that. So my role would really be encouraging Scotland's churches, largely, to be reading the Bible well, to use it well in every aspect of their ministry and in their life as Christians, to recommend resources, to provide resources, to provide good counsel, to discuss And to discern with them how best to use the Bible with the people that they have in the communities that they are part of as well. So it's a wide ranging task that would involve dealing mainly with the leaders in churches, but often with members of churches who would call me up and ask me about resources and ask me how they can get into reading the Bible or things that I would recommend for them as they're looking at a church and getting more into the Bible and I suppose that would be one of the great encouragements of the role is that I get to travel the length and breadth of the country to get a sense of the vibrancy and the life that is in the church in Scotland which is not a headline you're going to see in the sun or the record or the times tomorrow but it is true that around Scotland there remains in the church a great eagerness to have the scriptures at the heart of the church. And I chat to my friends who are not in the church and try to explain my job. And they say, so basically you go to the church and ask them to read the Bible. And they say, that must be the easiest job in the world. (laughs) And I say, you'd be surprised because a lot of people struggle to read the Bible, even though they know they should. And so one of the great delights of my role is actually facilitating that for Scotland. And it's just a great joy. And as I look back at that job description, and now four years into this task, I sometimes have to pinch myself and I can't believe that the Lord has been so good to me to give me a role which I so enjoy, and which I hope I'm able to undertake and execute in a way that pleases the Lord and also blesses the mission of the Scottish Bible Society.
1: How would you encourage people to read the Bible?
2: Well, I suppose the first thing I would do was to encourage people to do just that. I often quote statistics. Uh, My background as a banker obviously comes through and people joke in the office about statistics or research or reports. If you want it, go and speak to Adrian about it or as that report comes and it gets passed to me because I love to pour through them. But the statistics in Scotland, the best statistics we have, say that just one in seven Christians in Scotland reads the Bible every day. And if you take that up to a weekly figure, at just three in seven, Scots are reading the Bible at least once a week. And yet, as I suppose most of us know as Christians, and I hope is our experience, and people who read the Bible is their experience, that reading the Bible is the best route to spiritual transformation, to know more of God. And in fact, the largest research that's ever been done by this is by Willow Creek, the American church in Chicago, sometimes we're suspicious of mega churches. They did an astonishing piece of research that was well done. 400,000 people, over I think about 1,500 churches between 2007 and 2011, called Reveal. And they wanted to know what helped people to grow spiritually. And they wanted to know that for people who were interested in Christianity, people who were maybe just brand new believers in Christianity, people who were mature in faith, and they asked them what helped. And right across the board, no matter what stage of life people were at, how far they were in faith, how new they were to faith, way above everything else, was reading the Bible for yourself. And in the report they said, when it comes to spiritual transformation, nothing comes close to the Bible. And that would be good research. And I suppose it echoes in the hearts of many Christians as well, They recognise that spending time reading the Bible, God's word, hearing God speak into your life is one of the greatest ways to grow as a Christian. If we want to know anyone, you spend time with them. If you want to know the Lord, if you want to know God, spend time reading the Bible because through it God tells us about himself and we believe as Christians that he speaks through it to us. So the first thing we'd just say to folk in Scotland, read the Bible and read it every day. I have a good news Bible that was given to me by my grandmother. It's inscribed Christmas 1978. It was my sixth birthday. You can work out my age from that. And I remember she gave it to me and she said, before you open this and read it, pray to the Lord and say, please speak to me as I read your word. Now I've done that pretty much every day of my life since. And I suppose my story, as I've shared it with you, testifies to the fact that God does speak still today into our circumstances to guide and to lead but also in times when we don't know what's going on in life to comfort to encourage and to reassure us of God's presence and his help and so I would say even to people who have no interest in the Christian faith whatsoever I would say if you want to start somewhere begin with the Psalms Amazing stories of the experience of life and you'll discover people just like you. People who've got ups and downs in life. People who wonder what's going on. People who have questions for God. And the largest section of Psalms are called the Lament Psalms. They're complaints brought to God. Now who knew heaven had a complaints department but it seems that God signposted it in the Psalms. The Lament Psalms. Lament means to bring a complaint to God. But Of course it's a complaint that comes out of faith for the psalmist. It's because of what the psalmist believes about God, because he believes that God is a God of blessing, a good God who gives life, that when life goes (laughs) pear-shaped, that God's the one that he turns to and asks questions of. So the psalms are great, but of course it's the story of Jesus. Now whether you're in the church or miles from the church. The stories of Jesus, some of the best stories ever written and they're true stories, they're a biography. A lot of people don't like us talking about the historicity of scriptures. Somehow because Christians wrote it, that type of history is not to be accepted. But if you speak to any historian, they'll knock that out the water pretty quickly. The gospels give us an amazing picture of what God is like through his son, Jesus Christ. They tell us of his life. They tell us of his amazing birth. Before that, they tell us of his crucifixion, the fact that God raised him from the dead, that he ascended to heaven and that he planted a church that believed in him. And that the whole of the New Testament is a really exciting story to read through. So if you're struggling to know where to begin, the Psalms and the Gospels, stories of life and stories of Jesus... That's uh, place I would say, to start. But I will also say that often if you're in church, if you're reading in church, often we jump around, don't we? You know, if you're following the lectionary sometimes and you're going through, if that's your tradition and things, one week you might be, you know, in the Gospels to the next week you might be in a New Testament letter and you're backwards and forward. it's like, Bible pinball sometimes. And you wonder how it all fits together. And the Gospels are a good example. They were written by people who were trying to give an account of the life of Jesus. And you can read them in one sitting. Some of them take just an hour to do. And so I think one of the things that we need to rediscover is that the Bible is to be read as a whole story. One of the most useful things I did during my theological education was Bible overview. What's the story of God? What does the Bible tell us about the beginning of the story of humanity? What does it tell us about where humanity's got to? And what does it tell us about what God's up to now and what might be ahead? And so the Bible gives us all of that. And, and so having a sense of, the Americans would say, read big. That's how they would talk about it. Having a sense of that, but also a sense of reading it in context. These are books which come to us, some of them thousands of years old. They weren't written by Fred down the street, who goes to Tesco's, you know, who was brought up in Edinburgh and speaks the same language as you. Now that is not to say that you need to have a PhD in archaeology and ancient languages to understand the Bible. I believe that the Bible speaks and God speaks through it simply. But there is a sense of work to be done to understand what the book's meant to the original hearers. So context really matters to mm-hmm. and understanding that. These are some beginning things uh, that I begin to say. And there's a particular resource which we found helpful around Scotland which has got people
1: reading the Bible. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that resource then, Adrian? Yes, That's an
2: amazing resource called Community Bible Experience. It was launched in Scotland in 2014. And now over these four years now, it's been used by over 6,000 people in 130 different churches around Scotland to read all the way through the New Testament. It features a special edition of the New Testament and it looks very unlike a Bible. There are no double columns, there are no chapters, no verses, no headings. It looks just like a book. It's a brilliantly readable format, at the beginning of each of the biblical books that it covers, there's a short introduction that says this is who wrote this book, we think. This is what this book's about. gives us a sense of guidance, that context I was speaking about. And it also gives you a sense of the big picture because this, in its basic form, is an eight-week reading plan to go through the entire New Testament. And the idea is really simple. You read through it on your own, Monday to Friday, you're reading large sections as you go through that, as you can imagine over eight weeks. You get Saturday and Sunday to catch up and then you meet once a week with other people who are doing the same thing and you ask five simple questions. The first of which is, what did you notice for the first time? Meeting with other people is a great way to be encouraged in your own reading particularly if you know they're going to ask you questions about what you've read. We always say to people as they go through the community Bible experience, don't worry if you're falling behind. Just read what you can and catch up. It's not a race and it's not a competition, but it's an extraordinary resource. It's so, so simple. Those open questions are fantastic. How often have you been in a Bible study and the questions are so obvious, like how many loaves and fishes were given to Jesus that nobody wants to answer? or so complicated that nobody even understands the question, let alone has an idea of what the answer might be. A question like that enables people who've never read the Bible before to read the Bible and to say something in that conversation. And it also enables people who've been on the journey of reading the Bible for decades to say something about it as well. And these then lead to extraordinary conversations. And really what they're asking is, what did God say to you? And you're ranging right across a lot of material, You're not perhaps getting into the nitty-gritty. You're throwing up lots of questions. But the vibrancy of those discussions, and they have just lit fires of passion and interest and enthusiasm for the Bible and the churches that have tried it up and down the length and breadth of the country. One story of someone saying that they've been a Christian for 25 years who always wanted to read the New Testament, but they never knew how. And now they have. Another group that I was part of, Someone who was recently a Christian said this is great when I first came to church I had all these questions but I didn't want to ask them because I thought people would think I was stupid. Here I get to ask questions. It's a very very simple thing. People just get to do the reading. There's not a massive amount of preparation beyond that for anyone to lead the group or for a minister who might want to do this to actually have to go and prepare material. Just read the Bible and discuss it together and it's having an extraordinary impact in Scotland and of course It begins to get people into that habit of reading the Bible for themselves every day. The New Testament is often where I suggest that people start. That's perhaps more familiar. Then three volumes of the Old Testament as well. Covenant history covering Genesis to Kings. Then the prophets. And then the remainder of the Old Testament, often known as the writings. And the writings is actually a Scottish success story. This is published by a North American publisher. They started off with it. But Scotland's the country that's really flown with it which is quite incredible. And they didn't have enough demand in America to print this fourth volume. There weren't many people demanding it, but so many churches in Scotland had got through the New Testament, the two volumes of the Old Testament, and were knocking down the door of the publisher to say, when is this going to actually come out? That they actually produced a special edition for Scotland's market because so many Scottish churches were asking for it. And I was able to write an article on the back of that saying, how Scotland Leads the World in Reading the Bible, which gave me great
1: joy. I'm sure it would, Adrian, I'm sure it would. You mentioned four books. Does each book have a, an eight-week cycle to it? Yes. Eight weeks
2: might sound a bit daunting. The idea behind it, I suppose, is like Christianity Explorer Alpha. People will commit to things for a short time, but beyond that, perhaps it's a bit hard. So eight weeks is the basic, and there's also 16-week reading plans. In fact, what we've tended to find is when people begin to go through the Old Testament, and particularly as they get further into the Old Testament, the material is far less familiar. There's a lot more to discuss. So people sometimes like to slow down the material so they feel like they're getting the most out of it. Mm -hmm. But eight weeks, 16 weeks, I've been part of a church which has slowed it down and, and come down to just a book a time. And have really slowed it down. Again, it's not a race and it's not a competition. And it's hugely flexible. And as long as people are willing to commit the time to do the reading. And are happy when they're meeting. Then I think it serves its purpose. And in fact, we have a group that has just read through the entire Bible. They'd slowed it down quite a bit. And they'd probably taken two years to do that. Meeting every couple of weeks on a Thursday lunchtime around soup. And I have to say, having finished it, everyone in the group is saying the same thing. They just want to start all over again. (laughs) Now, if you have that type of feedback, you know you're on to a good thing.
1: Adrian, you said that when people meet together, there are five questions that are asked. Yes. Would you like to go through those questions for us and for our listeners?
2: Yes. First question, what did you notice for the first time? That's a cracker of a question. And I sat in a group. I sat with my mother in a group who taught me to read the Bible. A lady who was her Sunday school teacher and other people in the group who were very new to the faith. I tell you, these discussions were amazing. Everyone had something to say. It tends to be that people take a while to get, maybe the first week or two to get into the habit of asking questions but people start coming along with bits underlined or highlighted so that first question comes and that becomes the question which often dominates a group you're often finding maybe you don't get onto the other questions but the other questions as you go through them are great what questions did you have what a super question to ask the bible asks us questions the lord asks us questions so it's good for us to ask questions back i think god expects us to ask questions and what better place to do that amongst other people who are reading with you Then another question after that, anything that bothered you? I suppose for most people who've ever read the Bible, there might be things that have bothered them as they come through. Things they don't understand. Things that are unsure why God did a certain thing or said a certain thing. I think it's good to ask these things and not be afraid of asking these questions. Without wanting to be irreverent, I often say to people "In saying, is it okay if we say these things? And I say, you know, I think God's big enough to take our biggest questions. And so you have that as the third question But then the fourth question is, what did you learn about loving God? And the fifth question, similarly, what did you learn about loving neighbour? Because, of course, the Bible is not fundamentally about knowing about God. We're not studying for university challenge or mastermind. It's not about the accumulation of knowledge. God gives us the scriptures, not that we know about him, but that we can know him, hear his voice. And these questions and applying them in that particular way, Help us to do that. The Bible has got to be put into action. We've got to put it into practice. And there's plenty of admonitions through the Bible that that is exactly what God expects us to do. So five really simple open questions. And of course, they ask people to share from their own particular personal perspective. Many people, I think, have an experience of Bible study where they come along and they're bringing their lives along to the Bible. And God expects us to do that. We're to read it alongside the lives that we're living the joys that we're experiencing and the sorrows that we're, we're suffering as well. And of course, to be able to bring our personal experience, the reading of God's word is, is hugely helpful. We'll often go to Bible studies and all the questions are asking about things that are questions we are not asking. We've read passages and we've got all sorts of questions about them. And yet we have a set set of questions before us, which don't actually allow us to ask the questions or to have the conversations that we feel the Lord is asking us to have. So questions which are open, which everybody can join in on. And which allow people to bring their experience of God alongside the word of God and allow God to speak into that and to do that in the context of a community. It seems to me that that's what the early church was into as they're trying to make sense of who Jesus was and what he'd just done when they first meet together. I can't say this for sure, but the excitement of some of these groups when I'm sitting there and we're chatting through, it's almost as if people are hearing it for the first time. And there's that sense of excitement. So these are great questions to have. And great conversations to have.
1: Your community Bible engagement. It's community because people meet, it's community because they also meet with God. Mm-hmm. They can develop a personal relationship with Jesus and then share that with other people in and around the church and the community? Very much so.
2: What often happens is a church begins to order. They're not quite sure. Most of us, often when we're starting something, we're not quite sure. And you begin to dip your toe in the water, but it soon became apparent. They were doing a great job of promoting it. Everyone wanted to get in on this. And the minister was saying that when he was going around, he was just coming across people who were having conversations about what they'd read. So there was these ladies who were looking after the children in the creche. And he came down and he said, we're just having a conversation about what we were reading this morning in Romans. They'd read Romans before. They probably read it quite a few times in their church. But community Bible experience got them talking about it. And that is repeated up and down the country. Conversations start to spring up in the church relationships. In the ordinary course of meeting with other people you're going to talk about what you were reading and what God was saying and don't we all want our churches to become places where we're saying what is God saying to us and and have you seen this and have you seen this and have you seen this Mm -hmm. I remember my father talking about going to visit my grandfather who was a preacher and he said every time he went to visit my grandfather he would be preparing in his study he would open the door and he'd say come to my study Gus and see what I've seen today Having a sense that there's always something new for God to say to us through his word, matter how many times have read it. So for people who are mature in the faith, this is fantastic. But also for people who are brand new in the faith, there was a group in Stirling decided to hire out a local cafe just say to people, come and read the Bible. There were so many people they needed to get a bigger venue. We often think that there's not interest in reading the Bible if we're in church and Christians. But the statistics show that on a monthly basis, there's actually more people who are outside of the church who wouldn't call themselves Christians and don't go to church, who are reading the Bible every month. There's more of them in Scotland than people who are actually in the church and read the Bible on a monthly basis. There is huge interest in the word of God and even someone like Richard Dawkins who doesn't often have a great deal to say about Christians that is very good. He would argue vociferously that everyone needs to know the scriptures because of the influence in our culture and in our history he said it's impossible for us to understand our country and our history without understanding the bible that's someone that's utterly opposed to the christian faith so you probably tend to find that most people will find something in the bible that will be of interest and of course as you begin to read it the more the story grips you, and the more the God behind that story grips you as he begins to speak. Often we're getting into the story trying to find out about God, but often as we read the Bible, God's actually trying to find out about us
1: and asking us questions. Adrian, if any of our listeners would like some further information, do you have a web address? Yes, the best
2: place to go is to go to our website, at scottishbiblesociety.org. Within that, you will find my email address, which I'm happy to give you, adrian.armstrong at scottishbiblesociety.org. And there's a general email address on the website if you can't quite find me on it. And there's a phone number. And on our website as well, there is a good web page which explains a little bit more, gives a bit of a background and interviews with people who have been through that. We've recently filmed a number of Scottish churches who have been through Community Bible Experience and will be uploading their stories. This is a great Scottish success story in that it's addressing that need for people to be reading the Bible every day. People are eagerly embracing it and so I would encourage anyone, if you're thinking about this, maybe it's just a small group of people in your church, maybe you'd like to get the whole church to do it, then get in touch. I'm always happy to chat about Community Bible experiences. this uh, radio interview <laughs> would demonstrate amply. I couldn't be more enthusiastic about it, not because I'm some great uh, uh, salesman on these things. Uh, this is some other publisher's resource. I'm so excited about it because it's working and it's getting Scotland reading the Bible. And I often say, what is the Lord going to do with 6,000 people and more who read all the way through the New Testament in the last four years? when i reading through the Bible, and that figure is growing all the time. The word of God, and Jesus particularly, in this parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, speaks about the word of God as a seed. What is the Lord going to do in Scotland as a result of all these thousands of people who are reading his word and seeing it come alive before them, some of them for the first time? I'm very excited to see what God will do and what harvest the Lord will bring
1: from that in the months and years ahead. Adrian, I hope that your email box will be inundated with requests for information about the Community Bible Engagement. Adrian, thank you very much for being with us, for sharing this wonderful program that you've got, Community Bible Engagement, and for bringing the scriptures alive and helping us know how we can get more into them and to know our loving God. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This is Gospel For You and you've been listening in to an interview with Adrian Armstrong who went from banking and industry into promoting the Bible reading here in Scotland and has, by the sound of things, influenced a great many people to the joy of reading the Bible and listening to God. Now a theme for these next two weeks is Grace mercy so we're thinking about mercy this week matthew chapter 5 verse 7 blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy romans 14 verse 4 who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servants stand or fall and they will stand for the lord is able to make them stand Matthew 9 verse 13 but go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners coming up now is your gospel in Italian welcome to your gospel here on gospel for Grampian your gospel is all about making sure that wherever you come from you'll be able to hear the gospel. Your Gospel in Italian. Perché Dio ha tanto amato il mondo che ha dato il suo unigenito figlio, affinché chiunque crede in Lui non perisca, ma abbia vita eterna. Your Gospel aims to make the Gospel available in languages from around the world. It's taken from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Look out for more from your Gospel at the top of the hour every hour on Gospel for Grampian. g 4 uk. If you'd like to catch up with our podcasts, then it's podcast.g4g.org.uk Thank you for listening. Let's now delve deeper into this subject of mercy. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35 from the New International Version. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him, "'Be patient with me,' he begged, "'and I will pay back everything.' "'The servant's master took pity on him "'and cancelled the debt and let him go. "'But when that servant went out, "'he found one of his fellow-servants "'who owed him a hundred silver coins. "'He grabbed him and began to choke him. "'Pay back what you owed me,' he demanded.' his fellow-servant fell to his knees and begged him be patient with me and i will pay it back but he refused he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servants saw what had happened they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened "'Then the master called the servant in. "'You wicked servant,' he said, "'I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. "'Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant "'just as I had on you?' "'In anger his master handed him over to the jailers "'to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. "'That is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you "'unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart.'" Jesus told this story as a parable and showed what God will do to each and every person who does not forgive and forgiving and having mercy even when we don't deserve it. That servant who owed the king very many bags of gold didn't deserve to be forgiven. He didn't deserve to have his debt cancelled but he begged for it and the master had compassion. He had mercy he forgave even though that servant should rightfully have paid everything back and so if that servant then didn't have mercy on someone else this is how God works and God wants each one of us to have mercy on another person as was said in Matthew chapter 9 verse 13 but go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners And if we think that we can actually keep even bad thoughts and attitudes from God, we are quite wrong. Hebrews 4 verses 12 to 13, and we've, we've spoken about this very often, but in reality, this is both a check to the heart, but it can also be, if we allow it, something that is a great comfort. And we'll be turning things over to grace toward the end of the program so that you can see how it all works in. Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account god is known by as el roy the god who sees me and that means the god who even sees my heart he sees your heart he sees all of it everything about us is open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must give account god sees our bad attitudes and he knows when we're hurting. He knows when we are refusing to give. He knows when we are rehearsing our hurts. He knows when we are planning revenge. He knows everything. But when we give it all to God, well, that's when our lives can begin to change. But let's come and bring all of this in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I know myself How just so often people have wronged me. People have misunderstood. People have deliberately refused to understand. Even the fact that something is important to me. And yet, Lord, I have to give this back to you. Because I cannot rehearse it. I cannot keep it into my heart. And I have to leave everything with you. And I know that when I do... You are there and able to take on that which we cannot manage for ourselves. You are the one who helps us so that we, when we ask you to help us to have mercy on another, you are able to do that. And I thank you, Lord God, for that. Thank you, Lord God, that you are merciful and just to forgive. Help us Lord when we are wronged by someone that we would be able to forgive them. Help us to come to know you as Lord and Saviour. Amen. now listeners we're going to give you the listener the opportunity to accept Christ Jesus as your Lord and Saviour for Christ said uh, I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me let's bow our heads in prayer and uh, feel free to say this prayer after me dear Lord I'm sorry Lord when I have refused to forgive someone refused to have mercy on them because of what they did to me I'm sorry for everything that I've thought said and done wrong in my life and for those things that I have not done I ask you Lord to forgive me As I ask you to help me to forgive these people from my heart so that I might too be forgiven. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and ask you to help me to do that. Please come into my life by your spirit to be my Lord and Saviour forever and help me to be the man or woman you have called me to be. Amen. Now if you have said that prayer we welcome you into God's family and know this the angels in heaven are rejoicing even now because of what you have done. Please do let us know and you can send an email through to info at g4g.org.uk Please do take up your Bible and start reading. Please do get in touch with a local church, uh, wherever you are, and uh, we'll try and point you even in the right direction if you get in contact with us and we can point you to somewhere and certainly to a Bible plan. Now, before we finish on this program, we've been thinking about mercy We've been thinking and realising how difficult it is to have mercy, especially when we feel really wronged. What's the solution? First John chapter 1 verse 9 puts it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And Matthew chapter 11 verses 27 to 29 which we'll be covering in the next program which is about grace. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We hope that you will join us again next week at the same time here on Gospel for You on European Gospel Radio. And remember, this programme goes out again on Friday evening between 7pm and 8pm UK time. We've now got your Gospel in Latvian. Bye-bye for now. Welcome to your Gospel here on Gospel for Grampian. Your Gospel is all about making sure that Wherever
2: you come from, you'll be able to hear the gospel. Your gospel
0: aims to make the gospel available in languages from around the world. It's taken from John chapter three, verse sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Look out for more from your Gospel at the top of the hour every hour on Gospel for Grampian. Listen. dot g4g. dot org. dot uk. If you'd like to catch up with our podcasts, then it's podcast.g4g.org.uk. Thank you for listening.